0: Welcome to the like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host Chris Ward and I am incredibly excited to share this week's episode with Eliza Sampy. Eliza is uh, just an absolutely incredible endurance athlete, uh, bike packer, uh, trail runner, all things exploring and adventure. And also, like I found out from talking with her, uh, just a really wise human being. And I really enjoyed sitting down and having this conversation. Um, We actually recorded this about a month ago. And so much of what she said has stuck with me uh, throughout over the last month and will stick with me forever. Uh, Especially this idea of, you know, after something happens. And we'll get into the story, but... Eliza had an accident and had a traumatic brain injury Um, and she spent all of these months and months and months recovering from it so she's able to get back um, on her mountain bike and take on the stuff that she loves and the things that she's passionate about Um, and the thing that has stuck with me the most through the whole conversation is this idea of being able to Kind of let go of the person you once were, and kind of having like a grieving process for that, Uh, and then accepting like the self acceptance of who you are right now, Um, and whether it's like an injury of like something physical, or um, an emotional wound, or a spiritual wound, or or something like that. uh, I think that's a really important thing to kind of understand. I think it's something that we all kind of deal with, which is this idea of uh not being the person we once were you know i look back on chris 20 year old chris and there's a lot of things about 20 year old chris i really admire um and there is things that i miss you know i'm i'm like oh well i'm obviously not able to to xyz whatever that may be um as 36 year old chris uh there are things that i admire but then there's things that i think about and I'm like oh well I'm glad I've uh, evolved and turned into the person I am today and there are these experiences that happened in my 20s that um, or in my past that you know I wish wouldn't have happened and some things that were really challenging to kind of go through and and continue to affect me to this day Uh, and I think about that And I do think about how these experiences have shaped me into the person that I am today. And I think that's really important. And I think that's definitely a theme of uh, this podcast today, but also Eliza's story. And she has an amazing um, film online called No Going Back. And it's about her attempt to be the first woman to complete a multi-sport traverse of the Colorado Trail where she was going to bike it and run it. Because um, there are some sections of the actual trail that you can't bike. Uh, and go watch that film. And I, I think they, what came out of it was kind of surprising. Um, and the message that came out of it was really powerful. Uh, and it's called No Going Back. And I think that's kind of the theme. There's, there's no going back. Um, and just full disclosure, I was going to release this episode last week and uh unfortunately for my uh staff at school in our community here um, we had a friend and coworker pass away uh due to a biking accident um his name was james fenn he was a special ed teacher and he was definitely a guy who was so selfless and just gave his time and energy for our you know sweet sixth grade kiddos um who needed needed help from him and he was an amazing human being loved biking uh that was definitely one of his main passions in life um in fact i'm going to go to a memorial for him this weekend at a bike shop uh with his friends that he met through cycling and um last week when when i found out and then i thought about which you know like i thought about this episode and it it just it hit really close to home um and so i didn't know if it would be appropriate to put out last week um and i i honestly was still and still am kind of processing as is a lot of our community and um So yeah, I think it definitely the topics in this episode with Eliza and her story hit close to home for me right now, um, which was, um, after I actually sat down and talked with Eliza and heard her story. So, uh, yeah, it was, it's been a hard, hard few weeks for our community and it's, it happened right at the beginning of the school year, uh, which is also the craziest, busiest time ever. So, uh. I think just taking time to process that is is going to be important um, but yeah so I just wanted to put that out there uh, but this episode is wonderful I love talking with Eliza I definitely want to have her on the podcast again really appreciate her and her wisdom and uh, the challenges she's been through has shaped a really amazing and cool human being so uh, let's get into this. This is Like a Bigfoot podcast number 349 with Eliza Sampe.
1: And my, uh, my parents made the mistake of naming an ADHD child Elizabeth because Elizabeth has like 500 nicknames that you could possibly use. So I do go by both Eliza and Liz okay um so you can use either or you could call me elizabeth but then i'll probably think i'm in trouble so.
0: <laughs> that's only <laughs> when you get out of control on this podcast i'll be like elizabeth
1: <laughs>
0: i mean yeah i'm a dad yeah. of three kids so i totally have nice. the the full actually do we no we don't even have full names that was our fault we messed oh, that up funny. as parents we should have <laughs> named them longer name so they knew when they were in trouble you know
1: <laughs> you can always use first middle last
0: we could we do that sometimes yeah for sure <laughs> that that happens definitely um but yeah anyways today i am so excited to welcome eliza stampy to the podcast um you are absolutely an incredible athlete um amazing bike packer you just set an fkt um so i want to just read something really quick that you wrote um cause I think it's really important to understand, but you set the Olympic peninsula FKT, uh, you did 450 miles in three days, five hours, 13 minutes. And then here's the important part and 33 months. And that's what people <laughs> don't realize is that all that work beforehand before even taking off. And I just want to say congratulations. And i I'll, I'll, I want to get into the story eventually, but, but yeah, I'm really honored to have you <laughs> on the show.
1: Thank you. Well, I'm really honored to be here. I was stoked to get your email and I've listened to your podcast before and it's awesome and yeah, really, really psyched to be here. So thank yeah.
0: you all, all of you like long distance, uh, ultra bike packers, um, absolutely capture my imagination. Uh, I think it's so cool. Um, mm-hmm. what is the one thing about bikepacking that like really hooks you and like keeps drawing you back?
1: Oh, man, this this could be the entire podcast right here. But let's see. You know, I feel like the one thing, God, it's so hard. I I am absolutely in love with landscapes. Yeah. And for me, bikepacking is the best way to experience that. Um, I also do, you know, long distance running, fast packing, um, which I love as well. But know on a bike you can go faster than running at least at least i can (laughs) and so you know for me it's kind of the perfect combination of you're moving slowly enough to really um engage with the landscape um but you're also moving quickly enough to cover a lot of ground so that's kind of the thing that that really inspires me about it and keeps bringing me back to bike packing
0: Yeah. yeah is there any specific landscape that you find like really inspiring or is it just kind of everything
1: um, I feel like one of my biggest gifts and curses as a human is that I fall in love with everything in every place. So, I mean, I don't know, this is why I've lived in a van for eight years. Like, I can't choose. Um, I So, the Sonoran Desert in Arizona, which I, I feel like is my kind of home base, um, that's a landscape that I really, really connect with. And when I lay on the ground at night to sleep in that landscape, I feel the desert breathing underneath me and that's really special. Um, So I would say that that's probably my favorite place.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was was just telling you um, before we started that I'm from Iowa originally and I had never seen a desert for like the longest (laughs) time, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think I was probably almost 30 before I really like truly went out into the desert and there's something magical about it and I haven't been able Mm -hmm. to put my finger on it. I don't know why. But there's just mm-hmm. something about being in that wide open space that's amazing. So
1: have you slept on the ground before in the desert?
0: I have slept on the ground in a tent though. Like I don't know if you're just oh, you, straight up sleeping. You gotta lose on the, the tent.
1: You gotta lose the tent. Just sleep on the ground with nothing around you. <laughs> what about
0: scorpions? That's my thing. I'm like, I don't know enough about the desert. Scorpions yeah, are a thing, right?
1: They are. They are. I just I don't know. They've never bothered me. Um, I did one time decide to put my Bag down where a scorpion was. I, there was one rock in this little space, and I picked up the rock, and there was a little scorpion. I was like, oh, okay, well, he lives here. So I just took him, not in my hand, but I, what did yeah. I have? And this is actually on a ski, mountaineering, pack rafting trip. So I had an avalanche shovel. I took my avalanche shovel and I scooped him up. Then I just carried him about 30 feet away and I put him back on the ground. And then I put my bivy down and went to sleep, and that was fine. So yeah, end? I don't think, yeah, I don't think they really want to bother you. So I don't, I don't worry about him too much. Yeah.
0: I feel like that's the the case with like a lot of animals out here. Totally. You know like yeah. you think of the west and you think of everything that can harm you as animals, but I'm like mm-hmm. for the I mean I've been out in the woods for hours and hours and hours and like I don't know, nothing's really bothered me at any point
1: yeah well you're just an animal too you just want one, one of the wild creatures out there walking around so that's the way i think of it you know that's i don't cool. think of myself as like separate from the yeah. landscape and the animals and the, the creatures i think of myself as one of them and part of it so yeah yeah <laughs>
0: oh no, that's so cool so i want to hear a little bit about your uh story of like what led you into bikepacking and
2: mm-hmm. then
0: or just being an, an adventure adventurer you know um mm-hmm. and Eventually, I want to get to the FKT, but I know there's a lot there. You made this amazing uh, short film um, that I absolutely loved. I rewatched it again this morning. It's called "No Going Back," um, a Colorado Trail story. Uh, I want to talk about that too. But, but yeah, uh, where did you kind of like start off? Like, how did this whole thing begin?
1: Yeah. Well, so I'm also from the Midwest. I'm from Minnesota. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm i a Minnesota farm girl, like I did not grow up running across mountains or doing crazy adventures. Yeah. But, you know, I always had an adventurous spirit. Uh, my parents were both athletes and like my very first memory is being on my dad's back in a backpack as he Nordic skied like through the woods. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, I just I grew up in the woods and I grew up camping and I grew up like building like rafts out of logs and floating them down the creek and falling in and you know I was just kind of a wild kid growing up in the country yeah um, and that's kind of where I got my sense of adventure I guess
2: that's amazing and what uh, part you know so Minnesota. that was always were you in uh,
1: southern Minnesota it's a little okay. town called Wistika, which is about an hour and a half south of the Twin Cities yeah um, and basically just it's just woods and lakes and rivers and everything it's it's beautiful there are no mountains which is why I could never live there now but it's yeah. you know when I go home I do still really enjoy it yeah um, so yeah I mean I kind of grew up just as a kid adventuring from the farm in the woods near my house and then um, when I was 17 I graduated high school at 17 and I moved to Colorado right away Uh, And I lived in my car for the summer before I started university in Fort Collins and, you know, just camping. And my, my very first kind of backcountry adventure was backpacking. And this was way, I'm 40 years old. So this was way before GPSs and everything. And, and I got hopelessly lost and forgot a headlamp and was like walking, you know, walking around in the dark. And, you know, I, I, kind of started freaking out a little bit. And then I was like, wait a minute, I have everything I need to survive out here, except yeah. for a headlamp. I'll just <laughs> lay down and go to sleep and then the morning will come and it will be fine. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. And
1: that's exactly what happened, you know? And I found the trail in the morning, I was like 20 feet from the trail, you know, but I couldn't tell in the dark. And so like that kind of, I feel like that first experience kind of taught me that like, A, I can do hard things that are scary and it's usually going to be okay. And B, like if I just keep my head on, And don't freak out. I can usually figure it out. And so like that from there, I kind of evolved into uh, like backcountry skiing. I learned how to backcountry ski when I was 18, Um, kind of glommed myself on to a couple of mentors that I met in an avalanche safety course. And that was kind of my foray into adventure was was in the backcountry skiing, ski mountaineering world. And, you know, when I was when I was relatively young, I did a couple like multi-day ski traverses that were, you know, Not super gnarly, but when I was 18, I thought they were, you know. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, learn how to read landscapes, learn how to read terrain, just got really familiar with like just that world. And so that's kind of how I got into it. And then, you know, I backpacked all through college. And I, you know, I've been a mountain biker since I was probably 15. And, you know, never really got into bikepacking until 2015. Okay. Um, I was living in Guatemala. And I don't even know how I decided to do it, but I think I just want, so I I, I raced bikes, you know, for pro, let's see. I started racing bikes in 2007. And so 2015 was quite a ways after that. So, you know, I had been a bike racer for a long time and, but I'd also have this background in backcountry travel with the ski mountaineering and the backpacking. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was kind of like, well, why don't I combine these things? I love mountain biking. I love backcountry travel. I have these skills, why don't I just try this? And so at the time I didn't have all the bags and you can't just go buy that stuff in Guatemala. And so I used bailing twine to just tie as much as I could to my bike frame. And That's then I cool. threw the rest in a backpack <laughs> and I went, and I went bikepacking and that was it.
0: That's so cool. <laughs> and,
1: I, and I was like, this is great. This is really fun. And so, you know, then I just kind of kept doing that. I went to Peru the following year to bikepack. pack. Uh, and then it wasn't until 2018 that I decided to combine my love of racing mountain bikes with bikepacking. Yeah, and that's when I started racing ultras. And and you know my uh, I'm friends with uh, Hefe Branham, who's one of the OGs of bikepack racing. And I lived in Gunnison at the time. I let's see, when did I move to Gunnison? 2012 through 2015, right before I moved to Guatemala. Yeah, I had moved to Gunnison and befriended Hefe. And he's the one that kind of planted the seed of bike pack racing for me. And uh, you know, at the time, I was like, "Oh, I could never do that. I care about sleep too much. I could never ride through the night, like, blah blah, blah blah, you know, And then fast forward a couple of years. And hefe was like, "Oh, yeah, you could, you know <laughs> and
0: what do you think it was-
1: years and then I was doing it?
0: Yeah, what do you think it was about <laughs> you that made Hefe go, "No, you got this. You got this."
1: Oh, that's a good question. I just, you know, I think, I don't know that it was anything about me necessarily. I think Hefe just knew something that I didn't at the time. And that was that like, Mm. it's really not that hard. Yeah, Like it is and it isn't, but like, I know how to pedal a bike. I know how to handle a mountain bike. I know how to do backcountry travel. Yeah, And all you have to do is like, make sure you're eating and drinking and pacing yourself well and pedal your bike and it's really not that hard and so I think like that's something that he knew that I didn't and the only thing I didn't have was the confidence that I could do that
0: yeah yeah so you like combined all of these skills that you had built over all these years and I think that's so cool Mm -hmm. and I think Mm -hmm. that is what is intriguing to me about bikepacking um Mm -hmm. is that you are bringing skills from all these other different areas of adventure which is really mm-hmm. cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think you said in your email that you were about to you're planning your first bikepacking trip?
0: I okay. I'm going to tell you this right now and I'm mildly ashamed. I failed mm-hmm. at my first attempt at bikepacking. And I failed as in you didn't go? I'm well, no, I went. So here's what happened. I went. I had my bike, had all the my tent and everything and I go down and I set up my camp in this like it was in the woods and in the um by a creek and stuff like that and then i go ride because i'm like i'm just gonna ride after this and go around and explore and stuff and i got back about 6 p.m and i just got swarmed by mosquitoes <laughs> like oh i know God. like colorado you know like i mean you're from minnesota like
2: yeah
0: you know how the mosquitoes are in the midwest it's mm-hmm. is it's bad disgusting. Mm-hmm. and um like to the point where you're just going like you're waving your hand in front of your face all the time mm-hmm. and uh so i get out at my tent and i smelled really bad at this point i don't know if that has anything to do with mosquitoes but Not i, I, I didn't smell good we'll just say that <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. and i just got swarmed while i'm trying to like eat a sandwich you Ugh. know and yeah. i was just like i could sleep out here like i could i and then i moved my tent to a different spot because i'm like maybe it's my spot it wasn't Mm. my spot and Colorado Mm -hmm. we've been getting so much I'm just making excuses at this point we just got so much rain this year Mm -hmm. just warming us um and anyway so I was just sitting there it was like 6 p.m. I'm like do I just want to sit in my tent for the rest (laughs) of the night or do I want to like you know just get out of here and do whatever so anyways Mm -hmm. i'm ashamed i'm ashamed eliza
1: (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i mean i wouldn't say that's a failure necessarily although i actually like the word failure i fail all the time but i i feel like failing is totally fine if you learn something you know
0: i okay so i have this thing i'm a teacher and Mm -hmm. i try to get my kids to fail like i intentionally plan some lessons at the beginning where Mm -hmm. they fail oh yeah and i don't grade them for it because that would be mean but like Mm they don't like it at all. And then I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm going to tell all your parents that you failed. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like so excited because I'm like, it's such a good thing. So I always call it first it attempt in learning. And, uh, it love part that. Of it. I, and I'm going to
1: write that down. <laughs> I stole
0: it. I stole that first from another attempt teacher person.
1: in learning. Yeah. I don't care. I love it. I'm stealing it from you.
0: Yeah. I think so that's amazing. I do feel like I did. And it's funny. Cause I'm, Kind of a shame, but I'm also like mosquitoes, (laughs) something that's the one, maybe the one factor that will get to me. Um, no,
1: I, I agree. I actually bailed on an ultra partially because of mosquitoes as well. It was, it was more complicated than that, but it was the first ultra that I attempted after my brain injury. And I did not intend to cut sleep on that race. I was like, I just want to see if I can ride this mileage and the first night, I, there were so, this was in Oregon, I didn't know, you know, and there were so many mosquitoes and I had a head net, but they were buzzing so loud that it sounded like I was next to a freeway and I got no sleep. And then the next day my brain did the weirdest stuff. And, you know, fortunately I've raced, I raced like 10 ultras prior to having my brain injury. And so I I knew what my brain did on sleep deprivation previously, and this was different. And I was like, this is not healthy, I need to stop. And so I bailed on that ultra because of the sleep thing in my brain but really it was because of those dang mosquitoes keeping me up all night <laughs> so i can totally i can totally relate
0: yeah well and it's funny because i'm like it is the first <laughs> attempt in learning thing because this is it was my first attempt and
3: mm-hmm.
0: i left feeling like really good because i'm like oh i know i can do this like i had everything like i was good to go and like ready to go but yeah so anyways i'm uh, I'm planning another one later this summer. This time I'm bringing my nine-year-old with me and we might mm-hmm. only bike like five miles. We'll see.
1: Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So that'd be good. Nice. Yeah. Just bring like tent games, like cards or something like that. I don't know. That was my thing. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> with books. her, I'm
0: like, yeah, we'll bring a book. We'll bring some cards. Mm-hmm. It'll be fun. So yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah, totally. to Well, back, I, like, I
1: learned from that experience too. So like, so I was just wearing a head net and that didn't work. And so after that race, I went out and bought a Bivi. That actually has like a mesh thing. Oh. That like that, the whole upper half is mesh. And then it's got this little piece of P cord that, that you can attach to the mesh, and then you can hang. That peacorn from like your bike or a tree or your tarp or whatever and so yeah. it keeps the mesh way off your face yeah. and so ever since then i've used that bivy and when there's bugs it doesn't get to me as much because there's they kept like away from my face
0: oh that's genius so. all right i'm gonna have to ask you i'm gonna write this down <laughs> so later i'm gonna ask you where what that is but uh yeah but yeah so what was your first bike packing like race that you took on
1: So my first bikepacking race was in 2018, and it was the Colorado Trail race. I definitely didn't start with an easy one. Um, That's definitely one of the hardest ones out there. Um, But, you know, I figured I was like, I've got plenty of experience bikepacking. I've got plenty of experience racing. Like, I'm not, I mean, I'm new at bikepack racing, but I'm not new at at these things. And so I went for a big one. Um, It was so hard. It was so, so, so hard. And my body hated it. I actually, afterwards, I was like, I don't know if I can do this because my body hated it. <laughs> and I was I was doing well. I was actually leading the women's field and I was on course record pace. And the last night before the last night, so I, yeah. I was intending to like ride completely through the last night. So the previous night, the top six women were within like two miles of each other. Like we'd had been the whole race. It was so competitive. It was Whoa. so much fun. That's so much cool. fun, and uh, and my friend Ashley Wedelick, she was like right behind me, and I knew because they were hikers, like, she and I have been trading leads the entire race. But I stopped at tree line, uh, on the section, the cataracts pony section, and there was a storm, a really big thunder lightning storm. And so I stopped at like 9 p.m., and I was like, All right, I'm gonna sleep until midnight, I'm gonna wake up. And then, you know, hopefully the storm's passed, and then I'm just gonna go because if I want to break away from this group, I have to like do it, you know yeah, so I wake up at midnight and I go for it. And you know, I got a good gap on Ashley and the other women and um was going and going, it felt great. And then ugh, thirty miles from the finish, my rear hub exploded. Ugh. and I picked I, couldn't even roll my bike, everything. It just was just like spontaneous combustion. I couldn't even roll my bike. And so I picked up my gear and I tied my wheel to my little backpack and I ran carrying my bike and gear, 60 pounds worth of bike and gear for 13 miles in my bike shoes. I was so sleep deprived at this point. I was like making terrible decisions. I was like, why am I doing this? But also I couldn't like there was nowhere to bail where this had happened. And so yeah. I kind of had to keep going. And so, so I ran 13 miles. And then I finally got the opportunity to like sit down and be like, okay, am I doing the right thing? What am I doing? Because that race ends on an 18 mile downhill into Durango. Yeah. And I was like, can I like shuffle this downhill, carrying 60 pounds faster than anybody behind me can ride, you know? And uh, another racer came around the corner and he's like, Oh my gosh, what happened to you? Cause I have bike parts everywhere. And I was like, nothing good how you know how far have you seen ashley have you seen alexandra have you seen lee you know where is everybody and he's like oh ashley's about 45 minutes back and you know and she's like she's hurting she's moving kind of slow but she's coming and i was like okay at that point i knew it was over yeah. like, i cannot i can't yeah, i don't want to destroy my body anymore if i'm not going to win the race or set the record and i just i need to just be smart and call it and so i pulled out 22 miles from the finish of the oh uh. it was heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking that is
0: heartbreaking (laughs) but like the the, like image of you with a bike carrying a bike and trying to run down the trail is is oh like my god is basically like legendary <laughs> i don't know i'm sure like colorado Trail hilarious
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i know well for a long time people knew me because of that story and because of that race like oh i know you because of this epic failure you had you know i was like <laughs> cool cool <laughs> thanks, thanks yeah that. right right
3: oh but, my god i mean gosh. it was
1: like I, I put everything out there i was proud of my race you know i raced yeah. well i put everything out there um but what I didn't do is take very good care of my body. Like I was so yeah. intent on going fast and racing. And so after that, I was like, if I do this again, I need to do it differently. And so I raced the Arizona Trail in 2019 and it mm-hmm. was a very different, very, very different experience. And I took very really good successful. care of my body. Very successful. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I broke the women's record in the AZT 750 that year uh, by two hours. And I never even took a freaking ibuprofen. Like I felt amazing. So That's,
0: yeah. Is that like yeah. a special reward in bike packing is like, if you don't take ibuprofen, you're good. You know, you get like, <laughs> no, <an> old... <laughs> no, no, no,
1: no. I mean, most people take it. Um, and it's the thing that people do, but I just, I, I took such good care of my body on that race that I felt great the whole time. So.
0: Is there like afterwards when everyone finishes, is there like a big party afterwards for these races or is a big hangout mm. session or, or how does this work? I'm cause I know it's like, People show up and they just go, and yeah, it might take yeah. like, some people a certain amount of days. It might take a few more days for other people. And like, how does the end of these races work?
1: Yeah, well, it's a, uh, it's kind of, it kind of depends because you, you know, sometimes you finish in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, and there's <laughs> yeah. nobody around. It's very anticlimactic. Like you roll up to the finish, it's two in the morning, and you're like, well, cool, I guess I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> and then you put your thing, your baby down and sleep. You know, for twelve hours, um, and then you at home somehow and sometimes it's like that and sometimes there are people at the finish line like in the the bigger races like the CTR and the AZT and like you know where there's a lot of people there there's a really amazing community around bike pack races and so you know in recent years like when I finished the AZT I didn't expect to see anybody but I roll down the hill and Justin Dubois who had just broken the single speed record that year he and his wife Carla were there and they popped champagne for me and uh, you know some other people were there, and yeah. uh, and so that was that was cool. It was like a little party at the finish line. And and uh, this past year at the CTR, um, you know, I actually I had to bail off a lot earlier for some other reasons. But you know, I came around to Durango and to the finish, and a bunch of us were at the finish watching people come in. And and so like the bike pack community really like rallies around each other and tries to support each other. And you know, to some extent, like some people have to go back into their lives and work and everything. But it's becoming a lot more common now that when you finish a bikepacking race, like there will be some people that are like gonna be there and watch you come in and cheer you on and everything. And or you might finish at two in the morning by yourself. So it's kind (laughs) of shoot
0: (laughs) That's so cool. I just yeah Yeah. I think the whole I wanna I want to experience that I want to witness what this community is all about. Like I just think it's really Mm -hmm. cool and really unique. And you described the um women's race in the Colorado Trail that first year Everyone's right by each other, mm-hmm. um, but it seems like everyone's kind of like. Ultimately, you're competing against other people, but you're also competing mm-hmm. against yourself. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's I don't know. It just seems really cool. And from talking to people like Alexandra, um mm-hmm. it just seems like the most incredible people take this, <clears throat> yeah. take these things on, and I'm fascinated.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> it's it's so cool. And you know, and Alex Alexandra and I were having this conversation just the other day. Like, we both really feel like competition is like the ultimate form of like love and respect yeah, for you yeah. For, for yourself and your competitors you know like i uh in in a race earlier this spring pinions and pines i was racing one of my best friends lee bow and we were both racing single speeds and she was just it was her first race back after giving birth seven months earlier wow she's a new mom she was pumping in the race probably the first person to ever breast pump in a bike pack race and uh And she's out there and she's killing it. And she's like maybe two hours ahead of me. And like, it made me like, obviously I wanted to catch her and I wanted to try to beat her and everything. And like, I wanted to be at my best for her because I love and respect her so much. And like, if she beat me, I didn't want it to be because I gave up and didn't try hard. You know, I wanted to like try so hard and push myself so hard. And if she beat me, I wanted to be like, Lee, I tried so hard to catch you. And you're so strong that I just could not. You know, and so, like, I just, it's the as a community, like, we really see competition as, as like this amazing thing. And we are trying to beat each other, but we're also trying to push each other and push ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, you know, racing Alexander, racing Lee, like, that brings out the best in me. And me trying really hard brings out the best in them as well.
0: So, yeah, yeah no, really that's, cool. that's so cool. And yeah, I just, I, I think that's amazing. Can you kind of compare and contrast? Like what's the Colorado trail race like in comparison to the Arizona, obviously Arizona is longer, but mm-hmm. what, what are the like, um, specific challenges of each mm-hmm. one?
1: Yeah, so the Arizona Trail, the full version, which is now the 800 um, instead of the 750, you know, obviously the big challenge of that is the Grand Canyon hike. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to, after having already raced like 650 miles, you have to put your bike and all your gear on your back and walk through the Grand Canyon. And, you know, that's a very unique challenge that no other race has. And it's it's an incredible experience. I went through it at night and it was just otherworldly, crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, you know, and so the, the CT doesn't have that. Um, But what the CT does have is is the altitude, you know, the elevation. I was planning on racing it this year, but I'm spending the summer in Washington. And so, like, I would have to go to Colorado to acclimate a month early. And I just, I didn't want to do that. I want to be in Washington this year, so I'm not racing it, you know. So it's like the altitude factor is a big deal. The climbs are really, really long and a lot of them are like pretty steep and loose and chunky, you know, and so there's a lot of hike a bike. The ACT, there's hike a bike as well, but not as long of hike a bike. Like, I feel like maybe the longest hike a bike I did on the AZT was maybe 45 minutes other than the canyon. Yeah, And on the Colorado trail, like I will hike for hours. You know, <laughs> so, you know, on the the first time I raced the CT, I didn't do enough like running and hiking training and I had really bad Achilles tendon issues. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really unique factor of the CT that makes it really difficult on your body is that there's so much hike a bike and it's, you're not just hiking on a trail, like you're hiking on chunky rocks that are loose and slippery. And um, so that's, you know, the, the altitude, the amount of hike a bike, the really, really long climbs, many of which you'll be walking a lot of. Um, that's kind of the unique challenge of the CT. Uh, the Arizona Trail is really rugged. Um, you definitely need to be a good technical rider to race the AZT, especially the first 300 miles. Um, and then, you know, the the extremes in weather. So the Colorado yeah. Trail also has like the lightning factor, right? Mm. Like you will get stormed on. In the Colorado Trail. It would so be terrifying. Scary. So like, scary. So scary. So scary. Don't want you that. Know? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, every every CT racer will have a story about getting caught up high in a lightning storm, you know, and that's not as much of a factor on the Arizona Trail. But the Arizona Trail, you have the extremes and temperatures, right? So you start at mm. the Mexican border, yeah. And the first few days, like going, like basically racing to Tucson and then up Mount Lemon. And basically until you get on top of the Mogollon Rim and the Colorado Plateau it can be really hot, like over a hundred degrees. Yeah. But then when you're on the Colorado plateau, I mean, when I got to the on Rim at sunrise, the year that I did it, that's maybe the coldest I've ever been in my life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then Flagstaff, you know, it can be really cold up in the Northern regions and everything. And so you have those temperature extremes. And so you're like, well, how do I pack for this race if I'm doing the full thing? Because I'm going to be, you know, in hundred degree temperatures, but I'm also gonna potentially be like down to twenty degrees and freezing in the snow on the rim. So, like that's that's the challenge of the AZT. Whereas the Colorado Trail, like you know that it's gonna be cold up high, and you know there's gonna be storms, and you know you got to pack for like hunkering down in a lightning storm. And it gets cold so fast up above twelve thousand feet. You know, yeah. as you know, you're from Colorado. You know, so oh yeah, yeah, just very very unique challenges of both. But nice. they're, yeah, they're very, they're very different for sure.
0: Yeah. What is uh when So it's basically like an expectation. You're going to get caught in lightning, which is so yeah. scary, but yeah. what does hunkering down look like when you're caught in a storm?
1: Well... <laughs> i mean a lot so, of tears
0: so, a lot of crying uh
1: um maybe just, i mean I, sometimes certainly sometimes if you think you're gonna die <laughs> i know i mean alexandra had an experience i don't know if you have you talked to her since last year's ctr
0: i i, I, I think so i'm trying to remember if it was after that but i think so I did.
1: she had an experience last year in the ctr where she got caught and what like thought she was gonna die and she had to like she pitched her tarp under these like bushes. There were some bushes and she was able to, you know, hunker down. Um, when I, uh, last year when I was in the CTR, I was coming over Searle Pass in a crazy lightning and hailstorm. And actually, if you watched my film, you would see mm-hmm. that that happened. That happened as well on my multi-sport attempt. It happened to me yeah. twice in a row. I was I like, know.
0: <laughs> I was going to bring this up actually. Oh my but gosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And
1: so at that point, I didn't have anywhere to go. Like there were no bushes there. There was nowhere to hunker down. And so at that point, you just keep going and you just like keep your head on and you just like you just go and you move as fast as you can and as efficiently as you can. And you just try to get below tree line as quickly as you can within reason, you know. And so you just kind of have to make the best decision that you can for the situation that you're in. And if you have a place to hunker down, you certainly can. And if you don't, you just hope that you're going to get lucky and not unlucky.
0: Yeah, this is where all your like mountain training and mountain skills come into play as you're flying Mm -hmm. down the trail as fast as possible Mm -hmm.
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely wow yeah and you just you have to stay stay cool in your head because if you lose your head like you're gonna make bad decisions and so you know for me it's always about like like deep breathing talking to myself like not freaking out Mm -hmm. like you're gonna be okay you're gonna be okay just keep moving and uh and and you know above all when you're doing mountain pursuits whether it's in a race or otherwise like keeping your head on is the most important thing you could ever do because you have to make good decisions up there
0: yeah for sure for sure where um I want to talk to you a little bit about your film uh, which Mm -hmm. I thought was very incredibly well done and Mm -hmm. I loved the message at the end which I want to hear kind of some of your thoughts about but I know it kind of came about because you did have this traumatic brain injury. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know how much you want to talk about like that experience and what that was like, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm
1: I've been, I'll talk about anything. Okay, sweet. Going, yeah. yeah. I, I just know,
0: like when it's something that obviously is like a true <laughs> hardship, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to revisit sometimes. Um, but yeah, what, what happened there? Like what, what caused that?
1: yeah so i uh i had just finished up my season of racing this was in 2020 um and i had i was my partner and i were living in logan utah at the time he was in graduate school and i had been on the road in my van racing for a couple months and so i came home to be with my partner and i took a few weeks off the bike and then you know we were just on a ride in basically our backyard and we did a bunch of climbing and we're on the downhill and he stayed behind to take a few photos and it was not technical at all in that yeah. section. It was fast and blowy, um, but a lot of the trails around there aren't ridden a ton. And so they get overgrowth kind of on the sides. And mm. you know, this is a pretty normal thing. You're kind of crashing through some overgrowth with your handlebars. And I was going 20 miles an hour. It was super smooth. And all of a sudden I feel something large hit my left finger that yeah. was on my front brake. And it compressed my front brake which basically meant my bike came to an abrupt Mm. stop and I went flying over the bars, still attached to my bike. So my bike flips over on top of me and I landed directly on my head and then like scorpion, you know, with my bike came over. And then my bike actually also smashed me in the head, which was great. Thanks bike, you know? Yeah. Thanks bike. And so, Yeah. And so I, uh, you know, they say you see stars when you hit your head. Oh, you certainly do. I saw lots of stars. And I'm laying on the ground. And I'm seeing stars. And I'm kind of like blacking in and out a little bit. And I was like, Oh, this is bad. Like, I'm not going to move because I knew my partner was coming. And you know, I was lucky that he was there because I ride alone a lot. And so I just laid there. And I heard his wheels, you know, on the dirt. And I called out to him because I didn't want him to like, run me over, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so he came and he got my bike off of me and he is, um, he's a wilderness first responder, also like very experienced backcountry athlete and everything. And so he kind of did an assessment on my head and neck, didn't have any like pressure or whatever. And so, you know, I got up and, and my head was just pounding and I had this like sharp pain. Well, I remember when I hit, I had this sharp pain kind of at the base of my head that just shot like up my head and down my back. You know, so oh. my first thought is, oh, my God, I have spinal cord injury, you know. Yeah. Um, but I could feel everything and I could move everything. I was like, OK, this is OK. And uh, and so we're up there. And I remember the only thing I remember about this is I other than I remember what happened leading up to it. But then the only thing I remember going forward is I remember saying I remember knowing that we needed to get out of there because it was like evening. And I was like, let's get back on the bikes. We need to get off this mountain now. Let's keep riding. And apparently I rode out. I don't have any memory of this, yeah. Um, but yeah, I rode out and we he drove me home and I thought I was fine. And then I guess like an hour later, I was like, oh gosh, I, I'm not okay. Yeah. And I went to bed and I, I don't have health insurance. I'm self-employed, have a tiny business and I have not had health insurance in seven years. Um, and so I didn't go to the hospital. And, you know, as I'm a physical therapist by profession. So, you know, it's kind of like, I know enough to maybe be dangerous. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Or, you know, you know, I, I know, I know enough to know that that I wasn't dying, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to monitor my blood pressure, monitor my heart rate, like monitor all these things. And like, if my vital signs would have tanked then I would have said, okay, I'm going to have a giant bill, but let's go to the emergency room, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and fortunately that didn't happen. And so basically I went to bed and was there for like four months. Wow. <laughs> I mean, not literally in bed for four months, but you know, I, I, uh, I couldn't drive. Like the world was just spinning. I couldn't go to a grocery wow. store. I couldn't walk around the block. Like it was, it was pretty bad for about four months. And, you know, I was kind of, It was it was just weird. I would like think that I was fine, and I would start doing things, and then I'd realize, oh wow, like I, I, one of the one of the main things was like, the first time that I tried to make a sandwich after my brain injury, and I could not do it. Like I took, I was like, okay, like sandwich, like how do I make a sandwich? And I'm like, okay, I need bread, and I go and I get bread. Okay, I need meat, and I go and I get some meat, and I need cheese, and I need hummus, and I need spin. You know, I get all these things, and I'd lay them out on the counter, and then I just stare at them. Yeah. And in the beginning, I would just like start crying. Yeah. Like I had all of the symptoms I had, like, you know, the vertigo, the physical symptoms, the emotional symptoms, like just very emotional all the time. Um, my sense, I was like very easily overstimulated in a sensory way. So like my partner and I would be just having a regular conversation. And this like his he's got a very deep kind of loud voice. And just that would just set me into like panic mode and I would have to go lay down. Yeah. so Like this went on for quite a while and uh yeah that was kind of the beginning of it all
0: yeah when did you first notice um kind of like an Im- improvement or like a return to somewhat normalcy
1: um let's see so about four months in i, okay. I, I kind of started to a little bit yeah um I, I got i remember you know getting on my bike and like just riding around the block and the first time i did that i don't know if you've ever ridden a bike drunk, um. I, you know, I have no in comment, no comment, <laughs> yeah, no right comment, me, right? totally. Right. And like, you know, <laughs> it reminded me of like in college when I would, you know, get super drunk with my friends on the bike team and go ride around town <laughs> and like things are just swirling, you know, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this is bad, you know, yeah. so like, so then I got off the bike or whatever. Um, but you know, I, I gradually like, from being a PT. And also I have a, I have a background in neuroscience In my undergraduate, I worked in a neuroscience lab and studied neuroscience. And so I know some things about brains and I was so much better off than somebody who didn't have that background, you know? And so I knew that graded exposure to stimuli would be helpful. And so I would just Mm. start like exposing myself to things little by little. And then when I would start to have symptoms, I would back off. Yeah. And then I would I would try again, you yeah. know, and I would back off and I would try again. And so, you know, gradually I was able to get back on the bike. And there were qu- there was there were quite a few months, two or three months, where uh, I switched to flat pedals because I completely lost my reflex for clipping out, which yeah. is weird because I'd been clipped in for twenty years, you know. Yeah. Um, but that reflex went away, so I switched to flat pedals. And you know, I would go for rides on really easy terrain, and I would just notice. Like the environment around me moving, you know. And I was like, yeah. okay, well, I'm not gonna write anything technical until the environment is no longer moving. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, and so it was like there was really no moment where I felt a return to normal. It was just like very graded and gradual. And yeah. I would basically like I would take note of an impairment that I had, and I would start to work specifically on that impairment. And eventually those impairments lessened. Yeah. And some of them went away. You know, I had really bad headaches for probably the first year. And especially when I would wear a bike helmet, like having the helmet kind of tight enough around my head where it would actually do something for me. Like that was just would give me this terrible headache within 15 Mm -hmm. or 20 minutes. And so it was hard even when I could ride. It was really hard to go for a ride because I would end up with a pounding headache because of the helmet. And so what I started doing is wearing my helmet around the house. And, you know, doing things like we don't think about everything our brain is doing right on a daily basis. And so it's like when you're on a mountain bike ride, like your brain is doing all the normal functions to keep you alive internally. And then it's also like controlling your vision and making sure you don't ride off the trail and making sure you don't run into a tree and processing all the information that's going by you at whatever speed you're going. And so your brain is doing a lot, you know, and so like my brain wasn't able to do that. and like not give me a headache. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to be in my house where there's not as much stimuli and my brain isn't trying to keep me upright on a moving thing and I'm going to wear my helmet. And so I would wear the helmet around the house and then I would wear the helmet like chopping a carrot and then I would wear the helmet while doing really gentle yoga and yeah. then I would wear the helmet walking around the block, which I'm sure looked hilarious, but I didn't care. <laughs> 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 and you know, that's like Like really with any of the impairments that I've had during my recovery, like that's what I've done is just graded exposure and not being afraid of symptoms, but also not pushing the threshold so much that it puts me to bed for three
0: days. Yeah. Was there any fear for getting back on the bike, you know, considering that was Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what caused the accident in the first place?
1: Yeah. You know, there actually wasn't. Yeah. No, there wasn't like once. So the, the first time that I got back on the bike, when I when I realized that my clip out reflex was gone, that was a little bit scary because there was like one little rock in the trail.
0: Yeah. And
1: my brain could not make my body go around the rock like mm. the, the something that's been really hard and still is a lot. Of, it's a lot better, but it's still hard is the cognitive motor connection. Yeah. So like cognitively, I can know that I need to do something. And then there's a disconnect between my brain knowing it and my brain being able to make my body do it. Okay. And so I would try to ride around this little rock and I couldn't. And so I hit the rock and I was going slow enough that I literally just slow motion tipped over into a pit of boulders. Yeah. And the whole time my brain is like unclip 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 yeah. and I couldn't my body couldn't do it couldn't yeah and so I fell over into this boulder pile and that was scary because I was like, oh am I about to hit my head again you know yeah yeah um, but I didn't I didn't that was fine you know yeah. and but that was kind of a scary moment of like wow I don't have the reflexes that I used to um but then I took a step back I took another month off the mountain bike and I just rode gravel because I was like gravel is a lot less for my brain to, to manage. Right. And so I just, you know, like once I realized that I needed to be aware of impairments that might come out of the woodwork that I didn't know about, I actually stopped being afraid because I was just so aware, Yeah, you know? And so I, I, I got back into mountain biking so gradually that I just like was never really afraid of it. And then, you know, once I was able to ride, once I had the capacity to ride in the way that I did before, I was confident that I could still do that. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. And there, you know, there are things that I don't do now that I did before because I, I want to be a little more cautious. Like, yeah. you know, I, 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 love, I, I used to love like drops and, and jumps and things like that. And I still do some of that stuff, but like, I'm not going to go off a drop if like the landing isn't super clear. You know like if where if i mess it up i might hit a tree you know like i don't do that stuff anymore and so like but that's not really a fear thing that's like a very conscious decision of like hey like i need to take care of my head yeah like there are some there are some things that i'm just not going to do and that's just a choice that i've made
0: yeah well that's what i loved so much like Mm -hmm. the message of your film um which is all about the colorado trail i highly suggest going to watch it um it's called Mm -hmm. no going back you can look it up on youtube um but i found that it was a film about acceptance you know mm-hmm. it's accepting yeah. like i just feel like we we want this return to like norm normalcy sometimes and even yeah. just like yeah. aging like it doesn't have mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah, it's it's totally. such a relatable thing for all of us you know mm-hmm. because we are all getting older and you think back to five 10 years ago and you're thinking back to like maybe some stuff you could do especially like as an adventure athlete you know um Mm -hmm. or just an athlete in in general and you're like man i want to go back there and you kind of like Mm -hmm. have this stuff you hold on to yeah uh and i think your film was kind of about like letting that go and just accepting like this is this is me right now Mm -hmm. in this moment and this is who i have to be you know i don't mm-hmm. know can you kind of yeah. speak to that a little bit
1: yeah absolutely and you know the film is called no going back and and there is no going back there really isn't you know and this is a- the first
0: time i'm making that connection which is uh <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm like man i could have figured that out from the get-go <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah evan evan actually the filmmaker he came up with that title and he did he did such a great job mm-hmm. telling my story and like i just can't say enough good things about evan um, and he, ha- he did a lot of work, you know, chasing me all over the place and everything. And, um, but he did such a good job and, you know, it's, it's obviously, it's a sensitive subject and he just did such a great job. And, and I told him, I was like, I, I want you to film me failing. Like, I want you to film me. Cause I didn't know that I was going to fail the attempt, but like, I was like, I want you to film me in all of the parts where I fail, because yeah. I know that that's going to happen. Yeah. And like, I know you're going to feel awkward filming me when I'm like struggling to like put things in a backpack you know but i, I want that i want people to see this you know yeah. and so um and so so the biggest thing for me with that is like in the first year after my brain injury i didn't really accept that i was not going back yeah. and i just kept waiting and you know i wasn't i wasn't just sitting and doing nothing and waiting i was trying really hard working really hard doing all the things that i've just talked to you about but i i the goal was to try to get back to who I was before the injury. And I actually hired a therapist who specialized in like helping people navigate life after brain injury. And we only had two sessions together, but the second session, like she, she changed the course of my recovery because I came in and the first session I was like, all right, I need to get back to who I was. Like, I'm a business owner. I'm a coach. I'm a pro athlete. I'm all these things. And I need to get back to this, you know, and she's kind of raising her eyebrow and she's like, okay. And so then the second session, she she comes, you know, I sit down she looks at me and she goes, Elizabeth. And that's how I know somebody means business. (laughs) She said, Elizabeth, you have to accept that you are not going back to the person you were before, because that person is dead and she is not coming back. And if you can't accept that and let her go. You're never gonna figure out who you can be now. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like it sounds kind of harsh for my your therapist to tell you that you're dead, but like that's what I needed in that moment. Like she knew that I needed to be taken, like shaken, and be like, yeah. you need to wake up. You know, yeah. like you are messing up your life right now. Yeah. And so like that's exactly what I needed. And I was just like, you know, I was stoked. I was like, oh my gosh, you're totally right. Yeah. And so, you know, I came back from that session and I was just like. She's right. I'm not going back. Like old Eliza, she dead. I need to have her a funeral. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, and it was, you know, there was a grieving period for sure of like, wow, like I loved my life before and I loved who I was. And I had to let that go. And, you know, I, I kind of started seeing my old self as like a very close friend who had died, or even like a, a family member, you know, and and when a f- close friend or a family member passes away like you can take the parts of them that you admire Hmm. and you can bring those parts into yourself and you can like start to live those parts and admire those parts and try to be, you know try to exemplify those characteristics of that person but you can't be that person yeah you know and so that's how I started to see my old self as kind of like a, a passed away friend you know and so I was like okay like here are the things I loved about her and these are the things I want to try to take with me. But, and I also have to to be curious about like, who can I be now? Who am I now? And who can I be in the future, you know? And so from that moment on, it was really this attitude of curiosity of like, okay, like I can't be my, who I was. I can't do these things in the way that I used to do them, but like what what's possible for me now? And so that's what really changed during that therapy session. And that was, let's see, that was maybe, March of uh, February of 2021. Yeah, because that whole last year when I've been trying really hard to just be who I was before, I actually went downhill pretty significantly. And by a, a year out October of 2021, I was in a really bad place. Like mentally, I mean, I was like, contemplating suicide. I was super depressed. I was really anxious. I just like didn't I thought that like, I didn't have anything left to live for. And I was like, my partner will be better off if I'm just not here, you know? So every other day I tried to break up with him. Yeah. Your
0: brain goes to these really weird places.
1: Oh, totally. You know, and my partner is a freaking saint, you know, he just stuck with me through everything. And, 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 you know, so I was in this bad place and I, I even got to this place where I couldn't ride anymore either. The vertigo came back. So I was actually, this is crazy. I was on a photo and video shoot for clean canteen in like early October of 2021 with my good friend doom. And I was like starting to feel a little ataxic, which is like me off balance yeah. when I was riding. And I was like, this is weird, what's going on? I can't, you know, and you're filming. So you're trying to write these lines that are like kind of gnarly. You're trying and, to like look
0: cool. You're like, I'm to yeah, look cool, right cool
1: now. You know? Like, <laughs> and my buddy Doom, like he's so cool and I wanna keep up with Doom, you know? But like the last day of that shoot, I completely lost the ability to like follow instructions. And so, you know, Doom and I would be with the filmmaker and, and he would be like, okay, I want you guys to go over here. And I want you to like ride this thing and go to the left of this little pool and then come off this little roller or whatever. And we'd be like, okay. And so we ride over there, take a minute. And then I would have completely forgotten everything he said. And I was like, Steve, this is Doom. I was like, can I just follow you? Because I don't I can't. I just need to follow your wheel. And, you know, he knew it was going and he was like, yeah, absolutely. So we got through the shoot. I just followed Doom. And then um a few days later I went to meet my partner and a couple friends to ride and I literally just lost the ability to like go around a turn.
2: Yeah.
1: It was that, like back to the thing where my brain was like, my brain was like go around the turn and my body knows how to do a corner on a mountain bike and I could not connect yeah. the two things. That got scary. Yeah. Like that's that's the one time where I really was afraid to ride my bike.
3: Yeah.
2: And
1: you know, it was a year out that shouldn't have been happening. And so I got off my bike. I remember we were riding um, where was I? We were riding a Moab and I think we we're all like mag seven or something. And I was just, I got off my bike and I was like, I'm walking the rest of this trail. Like I should not be on the bike right now. And so, you know, at that point, everything had come crashing down. I uh, closed my business down. Like I couldn't, I had to, like, I was canceling coaching sessions because I would have such a bad brain day that I would be in the middle of a session, not remember where I was.
2: Wow! Like I
1: couldn't put words together. Yeah. I canceled the podcast. I canceled everything. And yeah. I just shut my entire life down in like late October of 2021, a year later. And so, you know, that's when I was like, I need help. Like I need, I can't do this on my own. I am screwing this up, you know? And so that's yeah. when I hired a the therapist. And, and so, you know, after that, I just like dedicated my entire life to like, I need to be really curious about how can I set my brain up for success such that I actually can build a strong and stable foundation, Mm -hmm. physically, mentally, emotionally, cognitively from which to stretch.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, you know, like, we don't have that stable foundation. We can't challenge ourselves because our foundation is really shaky, you know? And that's, that's another thing that the therapist kind of helped me realize is like, you can't stretch yourself if you're not stable. And so you know, she uh, she and I. This was actually a, a second therapist yeah, <laughs> that I yeah. was then seeing over over telehealth um, because I travel so much. And so, so you know, between like I guess February of twenty twenty one and when I did the Colorado Trail for that film, yeah, it was really just about building that stable base of like, how do I rehabilitate my sleep. Like I've always been a great sleeper, but after my brain injury, I had really bad insomnia. That's something I still really have to manage. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I if you if you've ever read the book, or if you've never read the book, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, I recommend that to everybody, especially somebody who has a brain injury or a concussion or like has trouble sleeping or really any athlete. Yeah. Any human, like sleep I'm writing it down. Everything. <laughs> sleep is everything, and yeah. I didn't know that, you know. And so, like the first thing came from rehabilitating my sleep. And what I didn't realize is like, I had been sleep deprived for a year. And when you're sleep deprived, everything just goes Mm, haywire. Yeah. You know, and so within, within like two months of really starting to rehabilitate my sleep, like my mental state got a lot better. My emotional state got a lot better. I started wanting to live again. I started being able to get back on the bike within a couple of months of just really focusing on like, let's get my sleep under control. And then let's make sure that my nutrition is good. Let's make sure that like, I'm pushing myself, but just a little bit. You know, I'm not like, not just like smashing through that threshold that all of us endurance athletes have the ability to do.
0: One, you you also probably want, you think Mm -hmm. about your old self and what you were able to do. And you're probably like, I Mm want to go out and do these like giant, giant things. And you have to reevaluate, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so I started, I, you know, I had this curiosity of like, can I be a bike racer again? Can I be a bike pack racer again? Like, can I, know do these things and so i started creeping back into it gradually you know i raced the highland trail in scotland in may of last year and my goal was just to finish and take really good care of my brain and set my brain up for success so that i could finish this 550 mile challenge and you know And to be competitive in an ultra, you have to cut sleep, and I did not do that in that race, except for the last night. I said, "All right, I'll test. I'll test a little bit. I'm gonna sleep eight hours, and then five, and then seven hours, and then five, and then eight hours, and then maybe three. And if that goes okay, I'll sleep eight, and then I'll go through the final night. You know, Mm, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so it's just been this continuous process of like, okay, what are all of the elements that go into a big adventure pursuit? And how do I gradually challenge one element at a time so that yeah. I don't overwhelm my brain and so I don't set it up for failure? Yeah. And that's that's the mindset that I've been in since that like awakening in the therapist's office.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> so that kind of brings us... I started off by saying Olympic Peninsula, FKT. I just mm-hmm. loved the idea of three days, five hours, 13 minutes, dot, dot, dot and 33 months so that's the that brings us like now i hope people understand like that was the 33 months and Mm -hmm. that's where the work was put in like the intentional consistent effort by you Mm -hmm. just to kind of like rehabilitate and then you go out and do this thing and it Mm -hmm. seems like all the pieces kind of fell into place and so first of all congratulations that's thank you absolutely amazing (laughs) Um, and I know it meant more to you than just the FKT, you know? Yeah. Know it yeah, meant, probably yeah. meant a lot to you just personally. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that attempt was like and whether or not everything did fall into place and went smoothly <clears throat> or anything like that?
1: Yeah. So <laughs> this is a funny thing. I um so I just decided to do this race kind of last minute. Yeah. Um, I've never, I'd never done a gravel race before. This was a gravel bike packing race and I yeah. have a gravel bike. I, I ride for Revel bikes and uh, they sent me a Rover last fall, which is their amazing gravel bike. And I really wanted to race it. And so, you know, I'm in Bellingham right now. This race is on the Olympic Peninsula. It was close. I was like, cool, I'm going to jump into this race. And, uh, and so, you know, the night before the race, I'm like setting up my bike. You know it's setting up my cockpit i'm like trying to figure out how to put aero bars on my bike you know and then realizing that like i can't put a light on my bike if there's aero bars so i have to like forgo the aero bars and put the light on you know so it was yeah. like it was kind of a, a junk show like getting ready at the last minute but i just like had the confidence that i could do it um and you know I, I just i have this thing in my head that my my second therapist said and and that was about the stable baseline she's like you know before this colorado trail attempt like i was really nervous yeah. And she was like, you have a stable baseline now, so you can stretch and you can fail and it's okay. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah. you know, that's kind of my mentality. And so I was like, all right, like I'm going to give this a good shot. And so, you know, I get my bike ready and, um, <laughs> and this is funny. So yeah. I don't know anything about gravel bikes at all. And so I show up to the starts and everyone starts looking at my gearing and they are mm-hmm. like, you are going to die. And you're like, everybody has mountain bike gearing and I have road bike gearing. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I'm geared really hard. You know, I have my, my chain ring is a 42 tooth and then my easiest cog in the back is a 36. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people have that flipped. A lot of people are running a 36 tooth chain ring and their biggest cog in the back is a 42, you know, so I'm geared super hard and uh, and everyone's like oh my god you're gonna die you know but like i can't do anything about it it starts in 20 minutes you know? yeah you're like I do so about it
0: now <laughs> i'm
1: like oh, i'm just gonna run what i bring you know but fortunately like so i've been i started riding single speed last fall and i've been riding my single speed all winter and i my, you know when i raced pinions and pines back in may it was on a single speed and that just gave me so much confidence i'm like wow i'm so strong right now you know yeah. and so because i had that single speed strength and single speed confidence i was like well I guess I'll just be on a single speed.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, you know, we started the race and there was like 17,000 feet of climbing on the first day, you know? And so like, I couldn't go any slower. So I just climbed away from everybody, you know, I just like stand up and I'm just grinding and uh, you know, on a single speed, you know, they say you have three gears, like sitting and grinding, standing and walking, you know? (laughs) And so like, that was essentially my race. Yeah. Like I couldn't really use the easier half or the harder half of my cassette. like always climbing in the easiest gear, always up out of the saddle, definitely hike-biking a good bit, probably more than anybody else, you know? Yeah. Um, But I just, you know, and, and like, at first that kind of got to me a little bit. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so overgeared. And I was like, I was like, I'm so dumb. I just talked to Alexandra about this. Like, Alexandra, like, overgeared her single speed in the Tour Divide, you know? And so, like, she and I have been chatting about this. and And, yeah. you know, she had told me, like, two days prior, she was like, you know, I like was down about it for like six days and I really wanted to quit. And then I just decided that I was going to try like hell to catch my record dot, you know, and she would ended up doing it and she broke her record way over geared. And so I was like, if Alexander can do it, I can do it, you know. And so I just, like, had this in my mind of, like, I'm just going to be brave and strong like Alexandra, you know? And yeah, like,
3: yeah. Some,
1: sometimes, like, when you don't have it in yourself, you have to channel it from somebody else, you know, until that comes. She's a and good so, one to
0: channel it from, for sure. She totally
1: is, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I just, like, had that mentality. And, and like, I, I was, like, that my so mile 50, like, my knees are kind of feeling really, really terrible. And I was, like, well, like... Either my knees are going to blow up and I'm going to have to pull out or my body's going to get used to it and I'm going to be fine. And I don't know what's going to happen, but something's going to happen. You know, whatever, it's going to be fine. you know, and like I'm not going (laughs) to die. So uh, so what happened is my body got used to it and I just felt really good. And, you know, the first night. So I came into this race kind of a little bit off the back on sleep, which I try not to for ultras. Like I try to really do well at sleeping in life so that I can push that in ultras. And this was the first time that I really tried. Like I've been, you know, creeping back into ultras, pinions and pines. I did go through the first night. I went 23 hours with no sleep the first night. And then I laid down for an hour and then got up and did another hundred miles. And like, you know, and so I knew that I could do that, but then pinions and pines, we all got cut off because it was death mud on the AZT and we all had to stop racing. And so like, I I got a little taste of what was possible for me in that race. I was like, I, I think I can do this. I think I can cut sleep. And so, you know, the first night I was like, well, I know I'm coming into this off the back, so I'm going to lay down. So I lay down for like four hours. I, you know, drifted in and out, didn't really sleep that well, which I never do the first night, and it's fine. And then you know the second day I'm riding, I'm feeling pretty good. It's just so beautiful. Like I'm really inspired by the landscape, you know. And like, oh my god, the coolest thing! So spiders would build webs across my cockpit, like in the <laughs> evening and in the dark when I'm climbing. And I yeah. just, I'm in love. I'm in love with the night creatures, you know. Yeah. And so like. I'm climbing through the dark and it's like one in the morning and there's these little spiders building webs across my cockpit and they're so <laughs> cute. And I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. You know? And, uh, and then, so then the, um, what kept happening actually, which was really frustrating is all of my bolts kept rattling loose. Yeah. Like I'd never raced a rigid bike before. And so like, it was really rough terrain like it wasn't smooth gravel it was like very mixed terrain you know like rough gravel smooth gravel single track pavement everything and so you know a lot of these really rough like fire road descents my bolts kept rattling loose and so like every like every descent i'd have to stop once or twice to tighten my headset bolts really so that was yeah that was frustrating i was like y'all don't know how to use loctite apparently like i put this new stem on my bike you know and, uh, and, and so I completely changed my headset, completely changed my cockpit for this race. And I was like, well, I didn't put Loctite on. And apparently, no one else did either. And so, you know, my shit's rattling loose. And so I'm having to stop and I'm having to tighten it. My wheels came loose, you know. Yeah. Started, oh my God. Um, and so that was a little bit crazy. And that didn't obviously go according to plan. But I had a tool with me. It was fine, right? So, yeah. like, these things are happening. It's fine. Oh, I also completely lose feeling in the right ulnar half of both of my hands on yeah. day one. Because I'm not used to riding a rigid bike. I still can't feel. Because of
0: the bumps going down. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, exactly.
1: And I'm basically riding road bars, you know? I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. Yeah. And so, you know, so my hands are numb, but the rest of my body feels good. And I was like, ah, oh, it'll be fine. The nerves come back, you know? <laughs> and so uh, so the second night, I was like, okay, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to try to sleep like five hours because I knew I wanted to really push and go through that last night. So I lay down. I didn't sleep five hours, but I slept like four and a half, you know? Yeah. So then I get up and I'm like, okay, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. And I start going, I start going, I, um, I resupply. I, uh, I come into the last resupply and I've been riding really well, feeling really strong. I hit the pavement. It's like 10 miles to the next, to the last resupply. My body just tanked. My legs like would not go. I like fully, fully bonked. And I was like, Oh God, what's (laughs) happening? My knees hurt everything. And I'm like pleading with my body. I'm like, please, we're so close. Once we get to forks, we can just Take a break and I'll give you a break. And you know, I'm like pleading with my knees, like, please keep going, please keep going. <laughs> and so we get to Forks and I end up having to like stay there for two hours.
2: Okay. And
1: like I sit down and I'm just eating, I'm in front of this gas station and I'm just crushing like a cup of noodles and I'm just crushing like a breakfast sandwich and I'm crushing like yogurt. And like orange juice, and I'm just like crushing food, you know, <laughs> and uh, and I'm just like, oh my god, and you know, but and I'm like massaging my quads, and like come back, come back, buddy, I need you, you know, <laughs> like I, I'm such a nerd, I talk to my body parts all the time, like I kind of see my body as this team. You know, like I'm the captain yeah. of this team and there's all yeah. these little teammates and they all yeah. have to do their part, you know, and yeah. I'm, ta- I'm like giving my team a pep talk. You're you like know?
0: giving like a halftime <laughs> speech or something.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. And, uh, and I'm like, all right, we just got it. If we can keep going through the night, like I'm going to get you a massage and I'm going to like do some yoga and you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm like trying to talk my body and keep going. Right. And so i I'm there two hours and I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to give this a try. And I'm like, if I feel terrible, I'll just stop and sleep and it'll be fine. Whatever. Yeah. So I I start going and I go into the night and I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm cruising along. And, um, around like 11 o'clock, I'd stop to like tighten my headset again. And I see these lights behind me and I was like, what the hell is this? You know, (laughs) and this guy comes up and it's this guy, Corey, and he had caught me and he had been making a big push. And, you know, so we're there together. We start riding together a little bit. And I'm going to flex a little bit and see if this guy can keep up, you know, because like, I had been like every time it would, I would start climbing, I would stand and like climb away from pretty much anybody. Um, and there were a few people at this point, I was in like fourth yeah, um, overall, overall yeah. with the men, you know? And so I'm in fourth overall, I'm a few hours ahead of record pace, maybe three hours or something like that ahead of record pace. And so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna flex a little bit, you know? So I stand up and I start kind of cranking <laughs> up this climb and I look back and Corey's right there. And I was like, I was like okay, this guy's strong, this guy's yeah. strong. So then I settle in. And we end up riding through the night together and we just have this like amazing conversation. And he actually had a brain injury just before I did in october as well. Yeah, like two weeks before me. And, you know, so he's had this journey as well to like coming back to being an athlete again. And we just had this like these really amazing conversations and we rode through the night together over this big mountain pass. And like, I was just so glad that he caught me because like, you know, it's like it's about racing, but it's also about community.
2: You yeah. Know? And, yeah. Uh,
1: and I've never ridden through the night with somebody before it's always been alone. And, uh, and he, you know, so he, and I casually, you know, before we start talking, I'm like, Oh, like, you know, you, you planning to, to go straight through and just kind of gauging. And he's like, the only way out is through. And I'm like, all right, game on. <laughs> <Here> <laughs> well, we <and> <laughs> like,
0: how cool is it? Like the kind of like coincidence that all of a sudden yeah. you're riding with someone who you can relate to about this really like oh gosh, challenging yeah. experience, you know?
1: Totally, totally. And it's that's hard to find, you know, and like, you know, I can tell people about my experience and they can listen, but like, you can't understand unless you've been through it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so
1: it was really cool. And especially like, so for me, like, that was the first race that I really felt like I was back. Yeah. You know, to racing, to really yeah. racing, you know, in a new way, you know, yeah. not like, Back to who I was, but like back at the front of the group, you know, and like I didn't I didn't know if I could ever be on the sharp end of a race again. Like I've not I've not been, you know, since my brain injury. And so like I was back on the sharp end and I was like, wow, this is the first time that I really feel like a bike racer again in three years, you know, almost three years. And and he, for Corey, it was the first, so he had gone into bike racing after his brain injury. Okay. You know, he'd been, he'd been a surfer and a skier and, you know, he'd done all these other sports and, and, and bikepacking. He had, he had done some bike tours, but like the bike pack racing thing was a new thing for him. And so for him, that was his first time ever going through the night. Yeah. And like, that was so special for me to be there for that for him, because for me, like that's my favorite part of bike pack racing is going through the night. It's just so incredible. You know, you just like out there with the night creatures and you see the sunset and you see the sunrise and you're just there for it all, you know? And so like, it was cool for me to see that experience for Corey. And I think it was cool for Corey, like to be there for my first experience of like pushing through like a racer, you know? Yeah. And so we rode together all night long, talked, had a great time, had a blast, like the descent off the backside of that last pass is just gnarly, you know? And you're glad you're doing it in the dark because you know, there's this massive drop off on the other side. And you're like, I'm really glad I can't see what's over there.
0: Thank and you. Then, you know- <laughs> no, I'm, I've had this conversation with so many people and yeah. all, a lot. Of, I even asked all my students, it was before I was going to the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like kind of scared of heights a little bit. Mm-hmm. And just imagining the sheer drop offs for oh, yeah. thousands of feet. I'm like, I would rather do it at night and just not, oh, yeah. see it, you know, totally.
1: I thought that in the Grand Canyon too, when I went through in the AZT and I still, I joke that I've still never seen the Grand Canyon because that was my first <laughs> time yeah, when I went through yeah. in the AZT and I went through at night, you know, yeah. Just, yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, it's just really chunky to send and we're on freaking gravel bikes, you know, and, yeah. and the rover is super capable, you know. So at this point, I'm pretty comfortable with this bike, you know, and yeah. so I'm just like riding it. My headset is super loose. Like I effed up the I didn't put enough spacers in when I put my stem on. Yeah. And so I uh I thought that I did, but I didn't pre-ride the freaking bike because I yeah. built it the night before the race at 10 PM, you know. And <laughs> so like when everything rattled into place. I needed another spacer to hold everything together. And I didn't have that. And so my entire race, basically my headset was loose and like really clunky. And so, you know, I'm kind of like descending. I don't know, not, I wasn't really descending cautiously, but I have this in the back of my head of like, my yeah. fork might just fall off my bike, Yeah, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I'm like, okay, we're descending. And I'm like, maybe going a little slower because i my, my front end is super clunky at that point. And I'm just like, Jesus, like this is terrifying. Um, so we ride through the night together and then we come down and we're at this lake and I'm blanking of the name at this moment. I want to say Lake Crescent or something like that. Yeah. But the sunrise is coming up over the lake and Corey had told me about this lake and he's like, man, I hope we get there at sunrise and it's going to be amazing. And it was. And, uh, you know, and so we watch the sunrise over the lake as we're cruising on this bike path. And then we stop to get water together and we're kind of chilling and we're just like taking it all in. We're just like not talking a much. We're just kind of being quiet, taking it all in. And then we get to, uh, then, we, then we keep going again. And then we get to the single track section and there's like 25 miles of single track. And then there's like a bunch of kind of gravel roads that kind of go all over the place. Yeah. And uh, an- another thing that I kind of messed up, I didn't realize this about gravel, but so my, my bike computer is, is an e and I could only upload a 500 point version of the route instead okay. of the full route. And yeah. so like the track is not very accurate and yeah. so when you're when you're at a junction where there's like five different roads you could take and the track <laughs> just kind of goes off in a random direction you're like oh my god where do i go yeah um and so fortunately i had my phone and gaia gps is my backup and so a lot of times i would have to stop pull out my phone figure yeah. out where the heck i was supposed to be going you know and so so we're on this single track section and corey lives in port angeles and so this is like his backyard and so I'm like, all right, I'm going to chase Corey. And we'd ridden some single track together earlier in the day and it was super fun and I was right on the stale And then we get into the the uh Olympic Adventure Trail section. And pretty quickly I'm like, okay, my headset, I need to tighten things, you know. So I stopped to tighten my headset and then I realized that I've lost a cleat bolt. Yeah. And so fortunately I keep, you know, I keep some bolts with me and so I, you know, replaced my cleat bolt. And I tried to do it as fast as I can. And Corey's gone, you know, yes. and I was like, maybe I can catch him. Maybe I can get him. So I get back on for the next five hours. I chased harder than I have ever chased anyone in my entire life. <laughs> and I was just like, I am going, I was like, I don't know if I can catch Corey. He's super fast. These are his home trails, his home turf. But damn it, if I'm not going to try really, cool. really hard, yeah. you know? And so yeah. like, and, and Corey, it was so cool to me in that moment because like, if I hadn't had Corey there to chase, like I might not have pushed so hard. And I was like, I'm going to see, like I might blow up. If I blow up, it's fine. Like, you know, Corey and I were the only ones that went through the night over that pass. And so like, we're going to end up fourth and fifth or fifth and fourth or whatever it's going to be, you know, like there's whatever. And so, uh, so I just like went for it and I was like, I'm just going to see what I can do. You know, I'm going to see what my brain can do, see what my body can do. And you know, I'm on the single track and my brain starts to do some weird stuff. I'm starting to see like, things moving around a little bit. And so I'm talking to my brain. I'm like, come on, like, we need to focus. Like, I really need you right now. I really need you to focus. I'm going to give you some food, you know, so I stop and I'm eating a bunch of sugar, you know, like I'm going to give you some glucose. Okay, now it's time to focus, you know, and it's just like my brain and my body and everything just like was so on it in those five hours that I was chasing Corey. And it was such a cool experience. And I didn't end up catching him. He beat me by like five miles.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. He was
1: like five miles ahead, you know, but I mean, that's close. Yeah, was free to finish as you get in a bikepacking race, you know, and it was just like so neat. And it, you know, it was just kind of the thing you th- say about competition like, me competing with Corey in those last five hours made me a better racer and made me push myself to an extent that I wouldn't have otherwise. And when I finished, I was like, holy shit, look what I just did! Yeah, it was so cool. That's so cool.
0: <laughs> I just think, like, so obviously, like, setting the FKT, getting the finish line, that's all great. Mm-hmm but really like, it seems like the victory was being able to have these conversations with someone else who can relate. And then also mm-hmm. just being able to step it up as like being challenged and realizing mm-hmm. like, oh, I can I can be challenged and I can like put the pedal to the metal, you know, yeah. and just keep going. Like I, I've always, I'm just a huge believer in um, the things that you're learning in the race are the mm-hmm. things that you take away with you? Exactly. Like, the medals yeah. are great. The FKT is probably awesome. But mm-hmm. the things you get to keep with you the rest of your life are those lessons that you've learned, you know?
1: Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You're totally right. I mean, it's cool to have an FKT. You know, I took eight hours off the previous women's record, and it's <laughs> like, it's, it's, It's cool because like that's a lot. That's a lot. Now that's another it it is in that kind of a race and that yeah, I only was able to do that because I was able to go through the night, you know. Yeah. The the woman who said it before me, like she said a stout time, you know. And had I not really pushed through the night, I I would have maybe I would have broken it, but I would have been a lot closer, you know?
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and so like it is cool to set that benchmark for other women to chase in the future, but like just the fact that I can do that now. Yeah, like I'm back at the sharp end. Like, that's so cool for me after 33 months of freaking trying so hard to figure out, like, what does my brain need in order to succeed in this environment? Can I do this? I don't know, you know? And so that was a question I had up until, you know, two weeks ago. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, that's absolutely incredible. And um, I know, like, I guess to like kind of wrap up, like, I always hate asking, like, what's the next thing, but it seems like, Mm -hmm you feel like in this zone now you can kind of start thinking ahead of what you want to Mm -hmm. do. Like, are there things that you're dreaming towards or are you kind of still, you know, kind of trying to take it, you know, day by day kind of.
1: Yeah, no, there certainly are. And, and, you know, there's still like, like I'm not at the end of the road, right? Like there's still things that I have to do behind the scenes to like manage my brain. Yeah, And you know, this was a short race, right? This was a three day race. And so like, hold on,
0: wait, let me check my notes. (laughs) <laughs> 450 miles. That's all I want to yeah, say. Yeah. 450 miles. So
1: that, you know, but it was gravel, not single track. Right. So like, you know, that would maybe be like, it's like a 300 mile single track race. Yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah. of the equivalent. And so for me, that's a really short race. Like I prefer like the 800 mile races, you know, uh-huh. and, and I, there's still a question. Of whether I can do that over a longer distance in a longer time. Can yeah. I sleep deprive over a 500 mile race? Can I sleep deprive over an 800 mile race?
3: Totally. You know,
1: one of the things that I really struggle with, that you know, you see in the film, is like the like the the camp transitions and the mm-hmm. resupply transitions because I have that weird cognitive physical disconnect, which is yeah. getting better, but it's still there. Like every time I get off my bike, I lose time. Yeah. You know, so like maybe my competitors and and old me, and this is where it's hard to not compare to old me, like old me slash my competitors might take 15 minutes to like get into their bivy at night and do all the things they need to do before they're sleeping. And maybe 15 minutes in the morning to pack everything up Yeah. for me, like in the Colorado trail thing, it it was taking me two hours to do that stuff. Yeah. Like now I've been working on it. I've got it down to 30 minutes, which is fast, but it's still not fast enough, you know? And so it's like when, you know, I was like, all right, I can try to push myself in these shorter ultras and see how it goes. Once, once this is a go, then maybe I can creep into longer ones. And so that's kind of what's next for me is like, okay, let's take what I learned here and what I know that my brain needs and let's try to push it into, into a little bit of a longer ultra.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: and so I don't know what that's going to be. You know, I, I, I plan to try to race the CT again, but I, I was like, no, I actually want to spend the summer in Washington. And so, you know, there's a race that I'm trying to get into. It's currently full. I'm on the wait list. Um, It's uh, called the Dark Divide. It's a brand new gravel bikepacking race. It
0: sounds cool. It just sounds like Yeah, the Dark
1: Divide. That's so cool. You know, I saw a photo of it and there's like this big single track ribbon just like ripping along this ridge, you know, and I like the mixed (laughs) terrain stuff. So I'm like, give me a single track gravel race and I'm in, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. No, that's Um, that's amazing. One, you talked, I mean, you mentioned like you're not the end of the road yet yeah but really like you you should know this as a bike racer there's no real end to any road like it just no, keeps there's going, not. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, and totally, totally and i think that's an important part and it's really cool that it sounds like you've like embraced the process and i think absolutely the biggest uh biggest like lesson anyone can learn about anything is like just embrace totally. the process and and keep mm-hmm. on going um yeah Liza where yeah. can people kind of like follow along like I know from here on I'm a fan let's go like <laughs> well, thank for you. You. every thank step you. of the way you know
1: yeah, so my Instagram is at Eliza Sampey, just my name e l i z a s a m p e y. That's I guess the best place to follow along. yeah. um the other things that I have coming up, I haven't actually said this publicly, but I'm planning to relaunch my business that I shut down after my brain injury and nice. I miss you know, I miss coaching. I miss teaching courses. Um, yeah. and so you know, I'm planning to get back into that. And so, you know, that's something that i'll I'll put out on social media once I'm ready to do it. Yeah. Um, so really, the Instagram is the best way to get in touch with me. Um,
0: I have Perfect. a link in my
1: bio that is a link to like a couple of films that I've done recently and some things that I've written. And some. You know, I like to write educational articles uh, for my sponsors or just for yeah. whatever outlet, you know, about bikepacking or about, you know, training or whatever. And so I've got some articles on there. So if you click the link in my bio, you'll find all the fun things. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's the best place to get in touch. And I love hearing from people. So, yeah. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for, for giving us your time. I love the stories. I'm definitely fascinated by everything that you've been able to do.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm very, yeah. uh, very grateful for being here. Thanks for contacting me and asking me to be here. It's awesome. And thanks for letting me share my story. And you're a great interviewer. Thank you for the <laughs> questions. And I don't think I like forgot any words or... like. No, you crushed it. Director.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no. You, t- you came in before we recorded saying... You weren't having the best brain day, but you absolutely yeah. crushed it. So,
1: yeah. Well, yeah. thank you. Hopefully, it makes sense. Hopefully, I don't listen to it and I'm like, oh my gosh, that made no sense.
0: No, but, it was amazing. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we'll have to get you thank back you so on the much. podcast uh, after whatever the next things you take on.
1: Yeah, I would love that. All right. <laughs>
0: Alrighty, that wraps up this week's episode. A huge thanks to Eliza for coming on, sharing her story. Uh, Please check out No Going Back, uh, her film on YouTube. It is wonderful. I loved it. Uh, Also, you can follow her um, and her future adventures. Uh, It looks like she's up to some really, really cool stuff. Um, Like I said, whether that be bikepacking or hiking or exploring and and things like that so um that was an awesome episode though i really really enjoyed that uh i felt like i learned a lot and um hope you did too uh you know i like i said i think it's kind of funny because i think the last three episodes of the show have kind of in a weird way they've all had this very similar theme which is like i guess the theme which i'm gonna say a bad word so buckle up ladies and gentlemen I think this sh- the theme is like dealing with your shit, you know um i think back to talking to diana and we talked about fear and we all have fear and we can't run away from fear and like fear is the ultimate endurance athlete like you're you're gonna get tired eventually and it's gonna catch up you know so you have to figure out a way to process that in a healthy way and that re- brings me back to last week's episode with with uh the man the myth the legend bruce kittle And he's talking about you got to figure out a way to bring these things into your life like you're not going to avoid them. So through meditation, um, you can consider these feelings and bring them in so you can go about living with these as as a part of you. You know what I mean? And then with Eliza, I'm thinking it's kind of a similar thing. Like we all have these these challenges you know whether they're physical or mental or emotional or whatever like we have these challenges in our lives and you got to bring them in you got to utilize these challenges and you can't run away from them you know I always think about this there's this story I used to read to my kids uh it's a classic book it's called we're going on a bear hunt and this family is like Walking through different things, like looking for a bear. <clears throat> and uh, it's stuff like, you know, they're going on a bear hunt and they're like, oh, look, it's mud. And they're like, oh my gosh, mud is thick and oozy. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We gotta go through it. And then they go through the mud. And then it's like, oh man, a, a forest, a dark, scary forest. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We gotta go through it, you know? and i think about that because i'm like dude in my dark times in my challenging times i didn't want to go through it do you know what i mean like i wanted to go around it i wanted to go up and over it or go under it or go around it i wanted to like be like somehow i'm gonna get by this without having to actually go through the challenge and that's just not how life works and you know you just Got to go through it. And sometimes that means doing the work like Eliza did in this episode. Like she did the work, you know, it probably wasn't fun. It was probably like a lot of moments of frustration, a lot of moments of doubt and anger and these like negative feelings. But like you got to go through it. You just got to because ultimately that's the way that's going to lead you out the other side. You know, if you're trying to avoid something, you're going to get lost in it. You're going to get lost in trying to avoid it. Um, But if you're just, if you just buckle up and go through it and try to learn as much as you can along the way, like that's going to be beneficial to you. Um, And I think that's important to remember. Uh, It's important for me to remember. So this is really just a pep talk for me as most of the outros are because I'm literally just sitting in a basement talking aloud into a microphone (laughs) to nobody (laughs) so uh yeah so that's why it was really important to me that's why the last three weeks i thought like in a bundle like there's just big themes there that were important for me to hear and important for me to kind of pick out from them especially during challenging times um Next week's episode is 350, and it's our seven-year celebration of the podcast. We are bringing my lovely wife, Lindsay Ward, on and uh, one of my absolute best friends, the number one podcast guest on this show, Brady Manriquez. And by that, I mean he was the very first person we had on the show, Uh, number one on the podcast, number one in our hearts, Brady Manriquez. Uh, They're both going to be on. And my wife's going to tell us the story of her second half marathon, which uh, was a misadventure for sure. Um, And Brady's going to tell us about some awesome times he's had this summer kind of starting to become a person who is getting into the outdoors a lot more and camping and wanting to backpack and things like that so it'll be super fun uh i had a blast just listening to them honestly they're both very entertaining to me uh and i love them both very much so come back next week for that it'll be awesome seven years holy schmoly that is nuts all right we'll be back at you next week